Hello everyone and welcome to Flawless, a music podcast. My name is Grant and I'm joined today by my two exceptional co-hosts, Liam. Hey everybody. And George. Bonjour. Each episode, one of the hosts or a guest nominates an album that they think is flawless and we talk about why they love it, how they discovered it and why they think it's flawless. Today we don't have any guests. We have the core, the three musketeers the head cheeses, whatever you want to call them. And it is my turn, yes, please, to <laughs> oh, nominate an album. Grant. Oh, please. I am so excited. I actually think I have pins and needles. Goosebumps? Pins and needles means there's no blood in your Both arms. <laughs> All <laughs> together, down the neck, whatever those feelings are. So we need are. to I'm call a physiological yeah, yeah. reaction to my excitement. <laughs> I am nominating today um, Pearl Jam's Debut album, 10. So, this album was released in 1991. Pearl Jam formed in 1990. It was released by Epic Records, by the way, and produced by Rick Parishon. Mm -hmm. And the the band themselves. And the band themselves. Thank you. Recorded between March 27 and April 26, 1991. Um, The album itself, the name came from the basketballer Mookie Blaylock, whose number was the number 10. And the band itself actually was initially going to be called Mookie Blaylock. However, there was, um, it was viewed that there could be some uh, challenges in relation to uh, copyright laws, etc., yes. particularly when he'd got a big deal with Nike. So, so I think Mookie actually said himself, you can't do that. Oh, like, I think really? he, was, he was the one. Because I read one, one place that they wanted to change their name all the time. Oh. They, they didn't want. They weren't going to be like one band name. They okay. were going to change it all the time. And then the very first thing they they picked, Mookie was like, "Yeah, no, I'm going to sue you." And then Epic was like, "Hey guys, you get to have one band name, and you get to stick with it forever. Mm. Pick a band name, you idiots." <laughs> Where did Pick it come from? Do you know? I do know. Do you oh. know? No. Thank you. Go Bring it, boy. Bring it. Um, I stand to be corrected, but from memory, uh, it is. One of the band names, uh, one of the band members, Grands, was Granny Pearl, and she made a particular style or flavor of jam, oh. and it was Granny Pearl's jam. That's so nice. No way. And, yep. And so Pearl's jam became Pearl Jam. Right. Okay, that is so so wholesome. That's so it's so very wholesome. Well, Love it. look, it's a wholesome band. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, so, what do we know? What do you guys know about Pearl Jam to start with? Anyone want to offer up anything up? So, before, before. listening to the album because it was nominated, I had heard Yield. I, I, I've got Yield. Okay. Um, mostly just for a couple of the singles that were on it. Um, and I knew all their singles and I knew the history and how they were founding fathers of grunge and alt rock and Seattle stuff all the way through. Um, but. I'd never listened to, except for Yield, I'd never listened to a full album all the way through. But yeah, I came up right around the time when grunge was a thing, but it completely skipped me. So the the first thing I knew about grunge was there was a girl in my high school who showed up to class one day bawling her eyes out and in a T-shirt with Kurt Cobain's face on it. And that's when I found out that Kurt Cobain had killed himself that day or earlier that day Mm. and... Yeah, they'd, her parents had said, nope, you have to go to school. And she's like, fine. So we all, we had school uniforms. We were <laughs> a uniform school, but she was like, fuck that. I'm wearing my Kurt Cobain shirt. And of course she got sent off to detention because that's what happens in a school. Which when is, you, has uniforms. When you, which has uniforms, yeah. In, so in, that was, in April of 1994, when you took himself yeah, out. Yeah. I so, know this so, because so I that's, was... that's the extent of my... So that was, yeah, I came up, So, but I wasn't listening to music then. So it wasn't for another couple of years I really started listening to it. And then a lot of the Oz Rock bands who probably learnt a bit of stuff from Grunge, yes. like the real sort of slacker stuff and keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. But um, 
and then sort of went back and did some research on sort of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and the Soundgarden and Co. So prior to seeing the, the Kurt Cobain shirt, you weren't even necessarily listening to Nirvana? I wouldn't have been listening. That, if that wow. was 94, I yep. would barely have been listening to the radio at all. But okay. if I was, I was listening to pop radio. Sure. And that was in my phase. I'm sure I've told you guys this where I didn't buy albums yeah. because why would you buy an album when all the songs on it are going to sound the same? If you buy an album from a band, all the songs on it are going to sound the mm-hmm. same. Compilations are where it's at because you get all the songs that you love and all the rest of them sound different. And Grant's <laughs> laughing. It's okay, you can laugh. It's so <laughs> stupid. It's sensational. People, I tell people that and they're like, how, how did you become a music person? I don't know. But back then I was albums. They all, Every song is going to sound the same. Compilations. Mm. So much variety. Wow. What an it's, angle. It's really weird. Yeah. That's, and thank you for sharing. I mean, yeah. everyone, to all those <laughs> no listeners shame. out there. For the record, it, it, Liam it, started this podcast, records and produces this podcast. Yeah, yeah. It was He's idiotic. written for uh, <laughs> yeah. music publications, yeah. various ones online. He used to glue the yeah. this podcast together, who used to love compilations. I, I can't remember the last time I bought a compilation, except oh, I would have been like a soundtrack or something, but the whole... Sure. Yeah, so all like Hit Machine, 100% Hits, all that sort of stuff. I was mm. way into that. That was the best. Good for was, you. I like three <laughs> you would not have really been friends knew. at school. No. <laughs> no, wow. and I didn't talk about music at school anyway, so. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, that's And that's, that's just in a couple of years. We, I, I am the eldest, in this, the eldest statesman in this mm-hmm. group of three. And I think that's just in that little period is where you would have missed it. And I've, yeah. I was Nirvana, Soundgarden. You were right in it. Pearl Jam. Uh, Alice in Chains. But I was into all that. And I'm... Yes. When it came out. When so it came out. would have been like 11 years old. I, I went, Nirvana. Nirvana played in 93 yeah. in England and I saw them. I don't remember. You would have been 10. I didn't. You were in 10. No, I was less than less 10. Than 10. Less That's... than 10. But my parents are musicians and they yeah. took, since I was four months old, they took me to Glastonbury. Yeah. So I went wow. every year. So I saw okay. in like... <laughs> I think it was in 93 oh, or 92. Yeah, I think they played Glastonbury. So I, must yeah. have, I, was, I was between five and ten. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So, But I was really into it because I, I got like Nirvana. By the time I was 13, he had definitely had been yeah. gone. Um, but I, yeah, I had I had all the Nirvana records. And the Unplugged was probably still my favorite, like, mm. all the covers and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I had loads of grungy stuff. So there you go. There you go. So I, I thank you. There you go. So, so it's just it's, compilation. So don't worry about you two being the same age, because <laughs> Grant's so much older than me <laughs> and more mature. <laughs> Let's not forget that. Are you there? Oh, all so, right. So so you were aware and you've, you've we got had some knowledge. Uh, we about had Pearl Jam. this record. Have you seen Pearl Jam? I think so. She would have been only ten, so she probably doesn't. It would have been yeah. It would have been when I was a kid. I can't remember which festival it was. But I was under fifteen. Okay. Um, yeah, because I had I had a special bag which I wish I had kept, and I used to write the bands on in Sharpie. It was an army surplus bag, you know, nice. a canvas yes. one, you know, the grunge one. Um, <laughs> and I would I, I would write bands on it that I had seen. So Gomez were on it, for instance. Um, and Liam loves Gomez. So um, yeah, and, and Pearl Jam's on it, which means I must have seen them. So yeah, so I went through anyway. But yeah, this record. We had it on CD as I was when I was growing up. Awesome! So my Jeez. one of my parents, I'm assuming my father, bought this record, bought this album, and so we had the Pearl Jam this CD, um, and I listened to it when I was probably about eight, and I remember putting it on, but because nothing happened for the first forty seconds, I yeah. turned it off <laughs> and put it back again because so I was that's... like, I was just like. I was impatient, yeah. right? So I was just like there thoroughly impatient. Eight. Pearl Jam. Yeah. I was you wasted eight. forty seconds of space on that front of the album. Well, yeah. the whole the whole point was I was going through I was going through a phase of going through every single CD, and they're all in like alphabetical and numer- numerological, or like chronological. That's the word, uh, chronological order. And I would take each CD out and I'd put it on for a bit and see if I liked it or not. And so I was doing that when I was about eight. So this was one of them. And I gave it like 30 seconds. I was like, no, it doesn't do anything. Mm. Put it back. Because we had so much weird shit. Like like really obscure minimalist stuff and whatever. So And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I like it. And sometimes I'm like, nah. So yeah, so I did get a part of it. I had the album when I was a child. 
And you listened to it cover to cover one day or not? Uh, no. Oh, did I? I'm only asking because of the 40 seconds. Or the no, I did, but you... not until I was illegally clubbing at the age 13 and I was going to rock clubs and grunge okay. clubs and stuff. Yes. So they would go, they'd go through phases of playing. They'd play some grunge, they'd play some rock, they'd play some ska, they'd play some sure. like punk or whatever. Uh, and so the three like main singles from this, I totally knew and totally danced to all the freaking time um and i was i can't reiterate how underage i was um but yeah so i was like i didn't know what they were about or anything like that so um yeah so single one alive single two even flow Mm -hmm. single three jeremy the three that i thoroughly knew i think oceans was only released in a couple of countries yeah Uh, yeah. so yeah because they weren't massive in england because like a lot of grunge bands went left England to go to America mm-hmm. to get fam- like Bush. Bush. Yeah. So they left England to go to America um, and sounded American and stuff. So like it wasn't huge, but obviously they were huge for like the rock clubs that I was going to. And they would, they're, they're probably still playing them in the rock clubs yeah. back in my hometown, like um, in Brighton mm. now. In fact, I'll check. So good. Yes. So, yeah. Maybe we should go. Yeah. You would have still been in South Africa, obviously, when this one came out. Correct. And, and it broke through. School. Broke through to South Africa. I'm not, not, um, not well, that I wouldn't be surprised that it did because it was a pretty big international. Yes. No, it, it did. I was probably only made aware of this and I, I spent hours thinking about when I first when I first heard this album. Um, I was probably only made aware of it after looking at the cover of Versus, mm-hmm. which has got a goat's head on it for listeners that haven't seen the second album and I listened to that one and obviously that was great that's the second release um and as um, one does had to find out you know more about Pearl Jam what is this what's this all about and may have gone out under age and rocked up at a mate's house <laughs> and met this guy called Jack Man, number some, seven something about anyway me and Jack were talking and we went end to end and had a very, very deep and meaningful conversation with six or seven guys talking about the meaning of Pearl Jam and, you know, what this album's all about, etc. And uh, that was my first full first experience of, of this album. So that's, round about end of 94. So just dudes hanging out talking about their feelings. That's yeah. great. Well, look. Should, be more, should be more of it. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was a good, good evening from what I can yeah. remember. I'd never, um, I don't think I'd ever experienced what's, people might call it a hangover before but it felt like the back of my head had a vacuum cleaner on it and i woke up in the morning um and hey apparently my parents didn't know so yeah. here we go it's um or they just let you off correct yeah exactly let me suffer um for the day um but yeah that was my my first experience of of that album around about a couple of years later it, it was a, this was a bit of a slow burn um in in the market as well so this was released as i said in uh in August of '91, and took a little while to you know, to to get um, traction. Even Flow came out, you know, in '92, and then Jeremy in late '92 as well. So, for the album to gain cred in the market, took a little little bit of time. Um, <clears throat> and in that time, they also had a couple of drummers. So the band yeah. itself um, started, or at its very core, was was Stone and Jeff Ament, and that's um, the, the two guitarists. And they disbanded after Mother Love Bone, um, yep. the lead singer of Mother Love Bone, um, had a tragic accident and passed. Um, they were very, very heartbroken, and they'd actually been together before Mother Love Bone in a group called Green River. And um, they found Mike and Eddie, flew Eddie up from San Diego, um, and their drummer at the time, at least for the album, um, production of the album was called uh, Dave Cruzen who did the album only and unfortunately had a challenge with substance abuse and um, drank a lot at the time and, and didn't make the tour. So uh, over that period, they got another drummer in called David Brzezzi, who toured with them from 91 to 94 and um, was part of the Vitalogy um, album as well. So there you go. I so like did, did, they, did, you find, did you see who connected them to Eddie Vedder as well? Um, what, what I found was um, it was Matt Cameron, I think. From uh, there was a guy, something Irons. Jack, uh, Jack Irons. Jack Irons, who He's was the original drummer, drummer for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes, there we go. So ah. they sent the tape. So Stone and Jeff sent the tapes to him to say, hey, we need some people 
would you like to be our drummer? And he was like, yeah, no, nah, I'm okay. But I know this guy who's got a pretty good voice and he surf, just surfs a lot. Yeah. And so they, he gave him the tapes and it was Eddie Vedder. And then um, Eddie just recorded a bunch of vocals and then sent it back to them and said, hey, how about this? And that's when, yeah, that's when they the flew, him, flew him in to audition and one audition was all it took. Mm. That was it. Yeah. They wouldn't be him without Vedder. No. 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 And... Um, well, that's I think that was almost the trio with with Stone and Jeff. So they cover what what um, the songs or, or the music that they sent down. He put the words, the lyrics to, and yeah. that was that. And I so said they've rolled. They've had a couple of drummers, Matt Cameron. I think Jack has done some work, some played with him as well yeah. a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that sort of three, that group of three at the core, has has been there for a long time. So anyway, have you seen them live? I haven't seen them live. No, really? it's not something that's Up ever. There been appealing to me so like if i like if they played a festival and i was going i'd, I'd go and see them yes. but they haven't toured in australia for quite a while and no. um i know the ticket prices would be right up there so it's probably not something that would interest me if they toured now i think they they headlined big day art just about the one of the they last would have done years one of those, yeah just about the one of the last years that big day art was yep. was was still running um i'll miss that one by the time that i realized standing for 14 hours in the gold coast sun wasn't was overrated idea. yeah it wasn't a great way to spend a day sure I can see why um, <laughs> it, it lost its, its, its luster. So Wikipedia credits this album as being instrumental in popularizing alternative rock in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And as of February 2013, had over 10 million in sales. Sold a what, lot. What an album. Epic. Is that, an album. Is that their highest selling album? It, is, it remains the, the, the most um, sold album that they, that they had. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, Versus was... At at, the, at its time, the fastest selling album ever right. in the world. Yeah, so, but it didn't surpass the, the sheer volume of of ten. Mm. It's been certified thirteen times platinum, and I don't know this one, but you might know, sir. Twenty second number one. It was twenty second in the in the Nielsen Sound Scan, something or other, which is out of all. So that's album like sales. album sales and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So. Um, it tackles social concerns, homelessness, the use of psychiatric hospitals, and um, listener alert, of course, there is a reference to um, suicide in Jeremy, which has been mm-hmm. well popularized. Yeah. So, yes, initial thoughts, guys, on the album. I liked it. We try to do these albums, I guess, in and of themselves. We don't yes. like it. It's almost easier if the other two people haven't heard the album or know anything about the band at all because then you can just go, well, listen to this album and just – your first listen can just be clean of any sort of history or any of that sort of stuff. So I tried to give it that listen, but I couldn't because I, I kept trying to turn off my parts of the brain that's like Godfathers of Grunge and, you know, alt-rock sort of stuff and then knowing they've got all that history and their fight with Ticketmaster and their fight with Scalpers and their fights with um, bootleggers that meant they've released mm-hmm. like every concert they've ever performed live because they want to screw with people. Like there was a lot and then sort of, yeah, so... I tried to listen to the album just as if it was just like a, another ordinary album, but I, I found very difficult to turn those parts of my brain off while I was listening. So okay. a lot of that stuff sort of weighed in on it as well. And 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 did you comp- did you find yourself compared to um, uh, Yield as well? Um, I don't I don't actually remember much of Yield. I okay. know I remember the three or four singles that I liked off it, mm-hmm. the three or four songs on it. But other than that, I guess when I was looking up some of the research and that sort of thing, it talked about how they'd written the parts. Like the, if they most of the songs weren't written together. They were mm-hmm. sort of they'd already written the guitar parts, or Eddie had come yes. in, and it sort of, yeah. I guess I felt that a little bit that it just felt that a little bit disjointed on some of the songs. Okay. But like you can see why it's the sort of thing that people would sort of latch onto, and I really I liked it. Okay, I got to listen to it as an adult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, legal, we won't hold that against you. legal drinking age. Oh. How boring. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and I actually really enjoyed going through it. Like the first time I went through it, I was just like cringing, going, oh my God, thinking about all those times I danced to it and the outfits I wore <laughs> and how many... been so good. I had so many bracelets and my, I was bleach yes. blonde with like pink or blue yes. or whatever in my hair. Did you have an undercut? Just, you shaved? You no, know? that wasn't. I wasn't Tank Girl wasn't style. It okay. was... I was like Gwen Stefani style. So cool. yeah, it was... Oh, Baggy jeans. Anyway, so I was the ones that soak up all the British rain as you walk down the street. So at first I was just like, (gasps) I was having PTSD. But then I I actually listened to it for itself um, and uh, enjoyed listening to it, which was really nice. So and then I was like a little bit annoyed that I didn't try harder when I was eight. So I feel like I could have tried harder at eight. At eight. 
you yeah, slash bands. If you want to track that eight-year-old market, front load the first 30 <laughs> seconds of your album. Hey. If, like, if you're going to be artistic and try and have a slow build, you'll lose the eight-year-olds. They do you'll not have the attention span to stick with it. But mm. if they're eight-year-olds that are going through 100 CDs a day, yeah, like you, you do need to capture them because they it. will be the ones that compulsively buy yeah. records for the rest of their freaking <laughs> life and have in, entire vinyl collections shipped from England yeah. to Australia. So there you go. So I don't have it on vinyl. Uh, but we did have it on CD and I don't know where that's gone. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I did enjoy listening back awesome. to it. Um, and so, yeah, I had to listen to it. But do you know what's really good? Was looking, because I didn't understand the concepts or what it was about. I didn't care, you mm-hmm. know, when I was sure. like, when I was just trying eight. to. No, when I was eight. No, I didn't get that far. But when I was like <laughs> 13 to 17 mm. and I was like some bands that I was listening to, I really connected with lyrics and whatever. But I didn't always know what these guys were singing about. I just knew how to go. Um, at the right times Uh, so I was like that'll do Um, as long as people think I look cool that's all that matters Uh, yes whereas now it's really nice to look at it and go oh it's not just some vapid grungy like look at me kind of album when as you said it tackles issues that were really difficult to tackle Um, Mm. and I thought that was actually I listened to it in that light now and it was really good going through the lyrics for the first time and also the ones that I was singing when I was a teenager were not right. <laughs> <laughs> like, not even a little. But that's good. I mean, they changed the words, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So the album was re-released in uh, 2009 for the 20th anniversary, which is up in 2011. And um, mixed on that occasion by Brendan O'Brien and sold 60,000 copies of The Bat. Mm. Um, so there's still a lot of people out there wanting to listen to, well, I suppose, probably oh. had the original. On, yeah. on disc. Dude, you're here yeah. talking about them. So we know that so, they are. Correct. And didn't get to top 10 on Arias, up to number 14. And Canada got to number two, US Billboard number two, the Heat Seekers as well, number two. That's a lot of silver medals for these boys. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I'm sorry, Eddie. I know, and Stone. but for a debut album, that's hey? pretty good. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. Uh, we, like, we do talk about debut albums a bit, but then at the same time, all the musicians in it. It's not like it was any of their debut albums. They'd no. all come from other yeah, bands and done true. stuff already. So it wasn't like anybody's first experience at, at writing and sort of putting stuff together. So it was like a de- like it, it works really well as a debut and a good introduction to them. But at the same time, it's not that, oh, my God, I can't believe these guys were able to do this on Just their first recording time. Like, together no, on their no, first they, time. Yeah, they they'd had fesh. a little bit of experience with this yes. sort of stuff. So yeah, Multiple bands before, yeah. certainly with um, Stan and Jeff. So... Mm. Um, I have seen them live. I've been cool. fortunate enough. Um, picture it. Okay. Paint a picture. 2006. A young African boy has migrated to the land of milk and honey. And he's never seen so much music or so many concerts before in his life. Doesn't know what to do with himself. Yeah. And November, the early November, it comes out. Pearl Jam are coming. Pearl Jam concert. They go back to back. At the Brisbane Entertainment Centre, I believe they were sold out. Um, after opening with an instrumental, they the next song that they played was off, uh, not off, th- off this album, um, and it was called Corduroy. And the song's lyrics go something like, The waiting drove me mad. You're finally here and I'm a mess. And I may have been weeping. Tears <laughs> of joy <laughs> at that time. But I don't think there are any photographs, any proof, and it was pre camera phones right so it was uh almost uh it was a almost a spiritual moment for me nice. to listen to Vetti, uh, eddie Vetta just unleashing um himself on on the brisbane crowd at beck in 2006 we then i then saw them in 2009 here at cusack uh where sorry in the, in the first forgive me in 2006 kings of leon's opened for them and oh. then um in 2009 at QSAC, which is ANZ Stadium, is that right? They get the wording wrong. Yes, on yep. the south ANZ side. Stadium, yep. Down here Open Air Stadium. Um, that would have been for Riot Act, maybe, or even after that. And um, and they were equally as impressive. And, and uh, one of the the sons of the Crowded House twins, the Finn brothers, or not? <laughs> Liam Finn. Liam yeah. Finn's. Liam Finn's great. There you go. He opened and was like amazing. He does as um, well. He does loop. He does a lot yes. of looping stuff. So yeah. he'll play one instrument, play a part in it, record, loop it, and then run over and play another instrument, play a different part of oh, it. Cool. He's really cool. He's really cool. Liam, is it? Liam Finn. Liam yeah. Finn. Yeah, he was amazing. Actually, is in the opening 
um, an opening act. Just a quick aside, he's before he started doing solo stuff, he was in a band called Betcha Dupa, who you should both listen to because they're awesome New Zealand pop rock, really sort of fun Wait. sort of stuff. They're fantastic. Cool. I wish he'd go back and do Betcha Dupa stuff, but <sighs> I was like eight, ten years ago, so he probably won't. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it just, yes, it was 2009. Tweet him. Yeah. Yeah, tweet him because he's flawless. Yeah. Gosh. By stealth, no one will know. Um, and yes, so I'd like to talk, I suppose, about a couple of the. the have you, have you, what do you guys know about the singles? Alive, I suppose, the first one that came out. Are aware of what it's about um, and Eddie's experience? No, not really. Basically, I think yeah. I vaguely read about it and then I forgot to write it down. That's okay. So, um, this we believe is partly taken from Eddie's experiences um, with his stepdad, who he thought was his 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 real father for a number of years or for all his all his life. And um, in essence, when he discovers um, that it's not uh, his real father. He's like, his mom is almost dismissive and says, you know, words to the effect of, oh, come on, you know, sort of suck it up, son, you're still alive. Mm. Um, and that is the, the, the majority of the chorus or the, or the intent. Um, but then there's also a bit of the incestual stuff in the middle as well. Mm. So then, yeah, so after that grief, uh, mother's grief leads to an incestuous relationship with the son yeah. who, strong, who strongly resembles the biological father. So it's part of like a three-song set. Yeah, yeah, I never, I didn't really get that. But didn't get that? It's, no. it's Did you think fr- so? Um, so, friend of mine, massive Pearl Jam fan. Yep. So as soon as I found out I was doing Pearl Jam, I was like, "Tell me all the stories and the yep. things you know about Pearl Jam and stuff like that that people don't know." Because he's like on the fan groups and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things he sent me is that the the deep deep fans, the ones that the like the deep deep dives, they're like yep. they've interpreted one of the lyrics in the middle where he's like something about waiting to bed you or something like that. Yeah, they've interpreted that as being that. There you go. Yeah, wow. it, t- it turns a little Oedipus. not so realistic hmm. or not so eatable, not so Eddie. Yeah. Yes. Appropriate. Okay. So yeah, so it was um, alive. Tell the story of a young man discovering the man he thought was his father was actually his stepfather. This leads to once in which the man descends into madness and goes on a killing spree, mm-hmm. and then footsteps, which was on a later album, in which the man is eventually looking back from a prison cell, awaiting his execution. So there's yeah. like a little. And interestingly, Footsteps was one of the one of the. It's a bootleg. It's on um, okay. on Lost Dogs, which is right. their, their B-side album that they released later. It, um, Footsteps, I think, was initially a beat track on Once or in one of the on one of the singles. It might have been Jeremy. Yeah. I had yep. I had a couple of the CD singles as well. Nice. Back in the day. Oh yes. Nice. Yeah, yeah. We've got um, a big collection of B-side single uh, CD singles oh, at home. So good. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, Once I think is is just. A great, great opening track for mine. Although mm. they aren't, they, they aren't together. I've, I read of also, yeah, that was footsteps once and and um, and forgive me, alive. And yet they aren't, they don't run concurrently, which are, yeah. or one after another, which would have been good. Mm. So, mm. yes, any standouts apart from the from the singles, guys, that you thought were, were great? I mean the the first the whole first half of the album I really like so why go is mm-hmm. quite cool like that why go home yes That he's screaming at the mic is that uh, as the vocal line is really quite cool I like that bit and sort of I guess a little bit more of that sort of that chaos and that aggression that I was expecting from it. Mm-hmm. So when these guys were like, oh, it's the Godfathers of Grunge, I was expecting, I guess, more, more rage. Of that, more rage and more. I guess the thing that I've, one of the things I've always loved about Grunge is they, a lot of the times, it takes it to the edge of like, we're about to lose control. Things are about to get crazy. Like, you know, I might, you know, just start mm-hmm. doing whatever on the instrument. It's going to be mad. And then they, 
they take it right up to that level and then bring it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of more of what I was expecting with these guys. And that's like on that song is a bit more of that chaotic sort of stuff. I really love that. Mm. That was, I think was my, my, one of my favorite songs. Yeah. Um, uh, cause in it, cause they're solos in every song. Yeah. Right. Yes. It's, it was the era, uh, like yeah. which which is it's weird because the rest of grunge didn't have solos. There was no. a whole point of not having solos. Mm-hmm. Um, but these guys were like, nah, we're just on the cusp. We're bridging two worlds right now mm-hmm. of like cock rock to grunge. Um, so yeah, but the actual solo I've put cracking solo yeah. <laughs> uh, because it was both fret wanks and refrained. Fret wank. Yeah. When you go, fingers going up and down. What a technical term. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we've used that on the podcasting before. One of the other yeah. solo songs you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, a big solo okay. talking about fret wanking. There we go. <laughs> All good. Uh, yeah, yes, so, so I thought that one it had good backing vocals too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the vocals yeah. in yeah. Wago. Because a big part of the grunge was supposed to be like a reaction to like the hair metal and the overproduced stuff from the 70s and the 80s, which had, was all fret wanking all the time. Mm. And that's supposed to be like, no, nah, we're just three guys. We just wear plaid and we just play three chords and that's it. Yeah. Where it definitely felt like Stone Gossard's like, yeah, we're rejecting that. But also those guys are my guitar idols. So I'm going to try and emulate mm. exactly what they, like, <laughs> they do a lot. So sort of um, he was still stuck in that, that sort of the two camps. Sure. Of, no, no, I, I love those guys and I want to show everybody what I can do. And I think he's also, um, I stand to be corrected and happy for, for some feedback from um, whoever listens, but I think he's self-taught as well. And he was like, yeah. the biggest thing is um, you need to be doing it for enjoyment and he wasn't enjoying whatever lessons he may have had. It was like, yeah. I don't want to do scales. Don't give me scales. Yeah. I'm just going to play. I just want to play my, my, my yeah. guitar, um, which he's done. I it's think, amazing too. if he is self-taught. That would so, be... Like, yeah, his skill is definitely unquestionable. Mm. One of my favorite tracks, and I think hasn't got enough kudos, is Black, mm-hmm. which follows Wago. Um, and, you know, when he, he, he's, it's just this, it's like this unrequited love or, um, you know, he's lost his lover and, and he doesn't know what to do in, with the lyrics when he goes... Yes. <laughs> I don't know who's broken you, bro. Yeah, but yeah. That is just <laughs> awesome. Those are just amazing lyrics. Yeah. Um, for, for from mine. So yeah. I think some of the people online were saying that it was about like his, or he was saying it was in um, one of his high school like girlfriends who just really? like completely broke his heart and but like you know it was meant to be and it needed to happen yes. but um, it was still didn't take away the emotional pain of it all and he turned it into this mm. song. Like, yeah. And black, obviously, because that's oh, probably how oh. his heart feels. Yeah. yeah. Hey, if it gets boys talking about feelings. That's it. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've exactly. touched on quite a few albums in here that I think a lot of people would probably write off as just dudes singing about dude stuff. But mm. when you actually stop and listen to it and actually try and take it in, it's like there's, mm-hmm. there's some real introspection happening here. Yeah. And she also references, his, and all I taught her was everything. I knew she gave me all that she would. Yeah. yeah, but what did he teach her? This that I, I got confused by that, and I was well, just like, "What do you mean? We'll you, you didn't teach her how to menstruate, did you? Yeah. Uh, you know, who knows? You can't teach someone everything." Sure, <laughs> sure. Context, well, this is his, this please. Is his, yeah, sure. There we go, and that's why we have these podcasts. Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, then that moves into Jeremy, which was was a hit, and is um, about a kid. Is actually a, a, was based on a on a true story about mm-hmm. someone. The fact that money 
the story oh, was. Oh, there's Jeremy. So, so there was about two different people, wasn't it? There was a, one about a story he read in a story he read in the newspaper um and it was just like 63 words or 63 lines or something he said um where it was about this kid called jeremy who just killed himself outside his Mm. school he was like a fifth grader killed himself outside of his school to prove a point you know about how he'd been bullied and everything else Mm. and then um it coupled that with a kid from his like high school where um a guy called brian um who he'd you know, jeered and bullied us and whatever in the past, um, opened fire in one of the classrooms um, in his school. But like, he wasn't in the room, but he was thinking, oh, wow, I, I've, you know, I've given this kid shit. Like, we've mm. created this monster. Created, yeah. And that's kind of the, the, he coupled those two together. And he said in an interview that he f- hopes people don't feel bad, but. He thinks of Jeremy, the first guy, when he sings the song. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah, just, just kind of like, all right. Because they made the video. Song. They made the video for that one as well. Yes. So, which um, was very popular, and it won them. Uh, it was nominated five nominations at the 1993 MTV Video Music Awards, and it won four, including Video of the Year and Best Group Video. That's cool. And that was basically one of the last videos they ever did. Yeah. They were just like, you know what? We hate videos and it was annoying to make and it was annoying to have to get up and receive awards and all the hullabaloo that goes with that. So we don't make videos anymore. Mm. And it really shit off their record label. Because mm. they're always like, you know, yeah, make a video for stuff. So the the only other one that I know of is for Do the Evolution, which is an animated video. So they yes. didn't have to do anything for it. They just, um, I think the guy who did Spawn or like a very famous mm. comic animator mm. made a video for them. But other than that, they're just like, we don't we don't like videos anymore. It's annoying. <laughs> I think they did a couple for Lightning Bolt. Okay. But it didn't, I mean, the, 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 the most recent albums haven't had the gravitas that these ones yeah. have. I think to maintain the rage. Yeah. <laughs> Not, um, it's hard to do with loads of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's, the, what's the driver anymore? I mean, yeah. I still absolutely love the band, but. That um, it's they're different, fundamentally yeah. different over a course of because yeah, Stone Gossard years. said that he didn't like making videos because he didn't like attaching visuals to a song. That yeah. these days, too many people get a song the first time they hear it is when they see the visuals for it, and that means they're locked into those visuals. So he'd much rather people came up with their own visuals and sort of whatever their imagination was is fine by them. So which I really but quite like. Dire Straits literally sang, "I want my MTV." Yes. And it was the first song to be played on NTV Europe when it was launched. Mm. Backing vocalist was Gordon Sumner. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Sting himself. <laughs> Come on. There you go. That was a, that was a bit of a segue as well. So, yeah. That was somewhat. <laughs> do um, I'm going to jump forward because Please. I really like Deep. Uh, so is it Deep? Yes. Yeah, number 10. Uh, yep. My handwriting is atrocious. It looks like number 16 <laughs> and keep. So uh, no, there we go. It's deep. It's deep. Can't so touch the bottom. It begins with like that Steve Tyler-esque scream. <laughs> at the beginning, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then I think there was like wah-wah pedals being used on the guitar. I made it... And yeah, he's got this, um, I've noticed throughout the lyrics that there's like content in the verse, repeated line in the chorus, content in the verse, repeated line in the chorus, bridge, bridge, bridge or whatever. Mm. And then it's like, yeah, so he did that, but it was, um, it sounded like the album, it was called Deep, but it sounded like it was about mental health, self-harm, etc. Mm. And it was talking about um, different elements of that. So. Um, I quite enjoyed um, listening to that one. I think I put that one on a couple of times. Good so it was good. But I, I do really like the... Well, I mean, it's a flawless album. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is... Yeah, exactly. Um, while, we're, while we're down the bottom there, and I'm happy if, you, if you've got any, anything else in between, um, I really like the way... Um, I like, really like release to in closing um, and the lyrics, and it's particularly pertinent, I suppose, having listened to previous versions of Flawless, but... Um, 
and you would have listened to it that then fades into what the opening of mm-hmm. once was mm-hmm. yeah and to complete it and yeah. i thought that really for me just made it a nice mm. tight bit of musicianship yeah. So if you put it on repeat, you could just go around in little circles because they're snake eating itself. Uh, yeah, they were all CDs, so they were designed to be huh. just looped back around. Looped back mm. around. Um, I also really liked Porch. That was another one that was like it's a bit of a shorter, sharp one, but like really aggressive yep. riffs in it. Like it was, I guess, less radio friendly and it was more sort of more of that wilder spirit. What the fuck is this world? to you, didn't leave a message at least I... Great opening line, eh? Yeah. What the fuck is this world? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I like that. But I didn't understand. I didn't know what the whole lyrics meant for the whole thing. Um, I think it's just, for, I've taken that one as this is a guy in probably Midwest America has got an attitude problem sitting on his porch wanting to shoot shit. Ah, oh, fair enough. Like, yeah. that's all. Something <laughs> I could not connect with. And, well, yeah. yeah. But, no, that, but that's that makes my sense. interpretation. Welcome mm. any other feedback yeah, on... Cool. on um, and I also found in that one that the guitar solo was arguably more interesting than the vocal melody in that one because the guitar was like going, I'm having fun. <laughs> um, clearly not in a 1940s jazz style, but sure. yeah. But it, it like, so the vocals were like, yeah. But then on this one, that one, again, the guitar solo really cut through as going, I'm not just here to fill time. It was mm. like, I'm actually doing something. Mm. I'm doing something much more like really interesting and, and stuff like stop and listen. And mm. so, because sometimes I'll listen to the records that we're listening to, like a few times, and then then I'll write down my notes. But I'll go, oh yeah, I remember, and then I'll skip partway through the mm-hmm. track and skip and skip to write my notes. Um, but on some of them, I just was like, no, no, I'm gonna listen all the way through, like all the way through, even on my like fifth go. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that. Very good, well, of course. Mm. <laughs> what, I, of course. what I would hope for. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, well, look, we are we are on the clock. We have spoken ad nauseum, I think, about this. Anything else, you guys, before we go into um, my final pitch that you'd like to mention about ten? The thing, uh, Jeremy, always sticks in my head because we had a an assignment in a grade eleven English, I think it was, where we had to play a fictional character, like a, a character mm-hmm. that we from fiction of some kind, and one of the guys in the class played jeremy and like do, you do a little speaking part so he role played as jeremy and just sat on up on a desk in front of people and just like drew like pictures of flowers yes. and mountain stuff while he was doing his sort of soliloquy bit and then they'd yes. get up every now and again and stick one up on the wall and that sort of stuff and it was yeah it was we made fun of him at the time because haha you tried but yeah it was really in retrospect it was really cool and i'm yeah <laughs> i wish more people had stuck their neck out a little bit further sure I don't think I like young Liam. No. No. I, he, I think you probably wouldn't. Were you into sports? No. You did you not like do you not I like the jocks? I wasn't Is really a problem with the sporty playing? people. No, I was friends with Like I was playing sports, but I wasn't really into following anyone else, any of the other people playing sport. Did I do when I was young? I don't know. I, do <laughs> I played video you games. Collected compilations. I collected, collected compilations. compilations. I played video games. Played, I did enough. a lot of stuff. That's fair enough. Not uh, that dungeon stuff. Not then. No, no dice. No, that, I only got into that like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Go, He's a late bloomer in yeah, so in many me, things. In so many. This is the rich tapestry of. Yeah. I know. Even Weezer <laughs> wow. was singing about Dungeons and Dragons in the nineties. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, honey. Uh, yes, uh, there's certain songs in here that I really enjoyed that I just hadn't listened to properly um, mm-hmm. in here. But there was a couple of times where I was like, "You built me up, you built me up, and then you dropped me." Why did you do that? <laughs> it's like, I was ready for, I've written, can you see here? Club dancing. Club dancing. Club dancing, Even underlined, yes. club dancing. Yeah, Love, yes. because they were all ones that I wanted to reiterate those singles. I was at clubs dancing Head to banging. them. Headbanging. Yeah, pretty much. And jumping yes. up and down and throwing myself sure. around. Sure, sure. Um, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was, but then like, I had an issue with Black because we had this triplet of Even Flow Alive and Why Go, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, carry on, carry on. And then it oh. was just like, and then it went really slow and introverted, and I was like, oh, what'd you do that for? Why'd you have to go and have feelings? So that frustrated you. That frustrated me. I was oh. like, go and have your feelings on another album. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's what, it's what bands feelings? do to demonstrate range is like, 
you could make an album of ten songs that are all yeah. high paced rockers, but you, <laughs> people are just going to go. People are going to write you off as like, well, you just those guys that just play all ten songs the same. So yeah, this is our range song. Yes, I know, and I get that. I was yeah. just being a bit of a dick. Sure. Uh, yeah, because they he did it again with Oceans when he was just that was his surfer song. Like, just mm. in case you didn't know, guys, I really love the waves, and like yeah. even his vocals had the tidal movement in it, like mm. through effects and stuff. And I was like, that's kind of cool. So I, I needed to treat it less like. I'm going clubbing again when I'm <laughs> underage and more like an album in Significantly itself. underage. Hmm? For most of that period, yes. Hmm? You weren't just underage. You were significantly Yeah, yeah. You, you weren't underage. 17 or like right on the cusp No, but it was 13 to 17. That was underage. Yeah. And then I turned 18 and got ID'd. Sure. There you go. You've got kids, then, haven't you, Grant? I, well, look, I must be honest, whilst we are talking about kids, my second child is called Pearl. Oh. Named after Pearl Jam. Tell us the truth. Or is well, it Pearl's, Granny Pearl's journey? Well, well, you see, this is depends on who who's, has the naming rights, I suppose, because there is a Pearl on Emma's side. Right. And when I heard that, I was like, sure, we can have that story too. <laughs> but it's far cooler to say Pearl after Pearl Jam. Nice. So up to the audience, they can choose. I don't mind. <laughs> I, I will just leave it out there that my daughter's called Pearl. Yeah. It's better um, than Megadeth, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Metallica. Or, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Awesome. There we go. All right, guys. I would, my, in my final pitch, I suppose this is an album that really um, cemented the way in, in um, preceding Nirvana's Nevermind. This is written and recorded before people knew that, that Nirvana existed on the degree that it would and was is arguably, certainly from a longevity perspective, um, has outlasted obviously Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Nirvana, who've had their own um, challenges from a personnel perspective. Um, 20 plus million peop- uh, albums sold. Uh, I don't believe, I cannot believe that you would not be in that 20 odd million who would think that it's a flawless album and would have spent money on it at the time had you had the money. I'm not sure all 20 million think it's flawless. Um, I own, a, well, lot of, look, I own a lot of records that are questionable, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Oh, jeez, guys. Like, I'm, sure, I'm sure they all love it, but I'm not sure they'd all back it up to say it's flawless. So who, over to you, who wants to start? Is it flawless from your perspective, yes or no? So... I'm going to rip the band-aid off and say I can't be flawless because of release. Really? Yeah. Didn't like the closer? I really didn't. I think if they'd left on deep, I'd be like, ooh, that'd be pretty close, actually. Like, for the record it is. But when when release was on, I was just like, no. Like, (sighs) it's great if it was like a secret track and you're going to sleep on a CD. But as an actual ending to an album, I had a real problem with it just because it didn't fit um it seemed a little yeah and it was also like what nine minutes long yeah um and was it all just silence on the end after the other song was mm. finished there's like two or three minutes of just silence on the end yeah of it. and it meant that it could have been a 44 minute awesome compact beautiful album but it ended up being 53 and a half minutes and i'm like you could have just not had that and used <laughs> it as like an epic b-side so that's that's my issue with the album, <laughs> and you, I feel really bad because you were just talking about how amazing the lyrics are and everything else, and I was just like, I'm really that, sorry. That's okay. But just keep stabbing. <laughs> but that's chest. why I can. But I did really enjoy going back to my, uh, despite the cringeworthy basis, going back <laughs> to my youth great. and thinking about it, and I found all the some pictures of me with blue hair, and I was like, yes, on my phone. So I then shared that with my partner who still wants to marry me so yeah. there, you go. <laughs> there we go so yeah so i'm awesome. sorry that's okay it was uh what is that 10 out of the 11 there we yeah go. but if only they hadn't got but it was like you know when we've talked about other albums before and there's been like the clo- mm. the closes you're like oh it really has to yeah. do something for you but sure sure liam oh <laughs> I feel so like- i i mentioned mine already that um i'm also going to say no so the first time I listened to it, that's what I was going to say. The first time I listened to it, I was like, okay. So I hadn't listened to any of their earlier albums, only New Yield. I was like, all right, big three, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, the big three of not just alt rock, but grunge. So I'm ready for a really grungy, dirty album or something super clean and produced, but really aggressive like Nevermind. And it wasn't either of those. It was way more, I guess, safe and f- like rock radio friendly. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't quite sit right. And then I was trying to figure out what it was. And then 
I was reading up about it and the band don't like the mix on this album. Mm. All of them have said that they don't like the way it was mixed in the end and they don't like the pres- they don't like the way they attacked the production either, which was to play like 80 versions of a song and then try and sit down with those 80 versions and figure out which are the parts from those 80 versions that they can mix together. And also they quoted as, um, McCready said, 10 was mostly Stone and Jeff. Me and Eddie were along for the ride at that time. So they'd already written all their guitar parts for most of the songs. Mm. And then they came in and I, I feel that disconnect between like, like it feels like some of the stuff was done before. So I'm really interested to listen to the next one where like, okay, we wrote this now as the four guys mm. who are in this band. So it didn't, yeah, I did. It didn't have that edge and that aggressive edge. So I like all the songs in it. There's not one song where I'd go and I really didn't like that song. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed listening to it, but I guess it just wasn't what I expected it to be. And yeah, it just didn't feel like what it's been built up to be, which is supposed to be sort of that defining album of like a, of a rock movement. Sure. So it's sort of yeah, it just lo- yeah, I couldn't quite connect to it that way. Okay. All right, everyone. Well, sorry, Grant. Sorry, Grant. I'm sad in my heart yeah. again. <laughs> but I did really like listening to it. So, which is like, it was good yeah, to like, listen to a Pearl Jam album that I hadn't cover. really listened to before. And yeah, I'm interested to see what they did on the next one, which I know was Versus. Correct. And did quite well as well. So I'm interested to see how that differs from this Maybe one. that's on the, on the list oh. for another one. But let's see. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let me recover. We're doing entire back catalogues now. <laughs> Maybe. Um, thank you everyone for listening. We have a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram account. We are Flawless AMP, which, of course, stands for a music podcast. Uh, You can please join the conversation, share or like your posts, or give us a rating. Every little bit helps, and it connects us with other music lovers like you. As mentioned uh, in this episode, we also have a Patreon. Yes, we do have a Patreon, so check us out at patreon.com slash flawlessamp. You can back us from as little as a dollar a month, and uh, we hope to see you on there. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye.